you've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. I wanted to be the best at my little cog. I wanted to be the cog in the machine, that, and I wanted to be the best darn cog there ever was, you know? Which is kind of ridiculous, because a cog is a cog, you know? <laughs> it's still a freaking... It's Any cog could do that job, you know? Um, so I... Uh, you know, sailed through it. Uh, it was such a, uh, and there was a lot of signage there that should have, that should have made me go, okay, wow, this is actually pretty unhealthy. There was a lot of times I could have said that, but due to a, the velocity of the training, meaning just being slammed through it, I wasn't able to really take that in. I was, I had a mission and I, you know, it, it wasn't about, like if something crazy would happen, something else was following so close behind it that it didn't matter. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you're there in Florida for all the best months of the year. All the, the greatest, most hot, humid months of the year. Um, every, by the way, if I, I, before Florida, I did not sweat. I had, there was Let me sit for a minute or two Watch this world make a fool out of you Levels are looking good. Again, yes, that is your job. <laughs> right now, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Awesome. But um, so again, thank you for having um the time and making the time for coming on to the show today. Um, You're yes. quite welcome. Quite for those joining in with us. He flew all the way from California. To, no, I'm just kidding. He, uh, <laughs> yeah. he had other better things to do, but I'm bogarting his yeah. time today. Bo- boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> so <laughs> Tyler is here today to talk with us about being in and then out of Scientology. And I'm actually really excited because while this is, I don't know if it's such a, like a hot topic today, like right now, but it is very much part of the mainstream when we're ta- anybody's talking about modern day religions. Sure. And, and do, do you... I have a theory on why that is. I, I don't know if you do. Oh, yeah, no. Love to hear it. Well, um, so people... I think Scientology is such a hot-button item, um, as a Scientologist would say, <laughs> uh, because I, th- I think it all has to do with the newness or the uh, relative youngness, I guess, um, the age of the religion. So Scientology is super young, right? Uh, 1950... Uh, Dianetics, 1953, Scientology uh, was introduced. Uh, at that point, it, it's it's basically the newest religion, main, mainstream, I guess, uh, ideology that's come out in that time period. And there's been others. There's been like other small cults. But actually, if you look at it, nothing really as widespread. The next newest one was is Mormonism, and which it's... I think it itself has had its share of problems, but Mormonism went for the low-hanging fruit. 
of um, regular stupid people in Utah. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, this show starts with a disclaimer that it's per- people's <laughs> personal opinions and experiences. Totally. And I'm totally joking. I know several lovely Mormons. But they, they uh, Scientology, the, my, my point is, Scientology went after celebrities. They went for the big bang, the big splash in society. They went for star power. That's right. Whereas Mormons kind of um, formed a formed a community and then got into government and then they kind of got their roots in that way, and and did it more subversively instead of like ostentatiously. That's, I'm probably using those words incorrectly, but um, but uh, so Scientology has definitely made a splash because of its age, it being a relatively young. Uh, religion and it, the fact that it went for the half court three pointer, you know, um, and I think, like for instance, when when Jesus Christ was on the earth, supposedly, let's say, uh, and he died and everything and and all that, people started making this religion when it was brand new. Let's let's say it was fifty years old at the time. People were killed for even exploring the option of it because it was it was brand new it was it was crazy it was being brought to people of power like hey you should really check this out and and because it was such a radically different idea people were um you know uh, just prosecuted for that and obviously our society has progressed past like killing people as frequently or easily um, in America, at least, let's say, uh, you know, we can argue uh, semantics about that. But. Exactly, <laughs> but but like like for instance, you're not going to get stoned in the market square. Yeah, nowadays. So yeah, different um, pastimes, right? Exactly, but it's the same. There is a similar uh, like critical eye or prosecution that is being afforded to Scientology uh, that I think all of their religions ex- experience in their infancy. Yeah, and I actually um, just to kind of jump off that theory, I think it's really fascinating that in the 50s when Scientology was a new religion and was going after celebrities to kind of help sell it, was right after, like, old Hollywood just kind of, like, took a nosedive. So there was still the whole myth of Hollywood was in uh, public consciousness, but the power of Hollywood was starting to, like, fade, and the whole, like, untouchable grandeur of was gone. That's very true, and this is, a, I think, a good place to start is kind of the, a little bit of the history and origin of Scientology in and of itself, um, and you bring up a good point, he, uh, actually, even more so than that, um, the, so L. Ron Hubbard was, uh, was, was very much involved with um, uh, Aleister Crowley uh, and a few of the other kind of <clears throat> occult, you know, uh, Minded people um, and uh, 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 Parsons from Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, I mean, he. So there was this whole subversive, you know, kind of group that was kind of into saying, okay, the 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 old ways of money and power aren't really working anymore. Uh, let's like slaughter a lamb and see what that does. You know, like. Uh, that and that really like happened. There were these dark magic sex, you know, uh, uh, ceremonies and wild things that were happening. And Elrond Hubbard, I don't know <clears throat> to the extent to which 
is documented that he was involved is a little sketchy, but he was definitely around that scene. And um, and that was that was this like very uh, this time period that was very formative for a lot of his ideas, and then a lot of um, the a lot of the Hollywood that would come after was uh, was definitely based around these these experimental this experimental time period, um, which again Hollywood, <clears throat> lots of power, lots of social influence, but. It really is just people. If you just get a hold of someone and, you know, let's say they're a big name producer, Hollywood is just made up of people. It's not this big, you know, it's not the billboard. You see, like, yeah, there is a billboard or a sign or whatever, but it has nothing to do with what Hollywood is. Um, the, the Hollywood is a, a, is a, I guess, an infiltratable influenceable thing because it's people and uh and i think scientology ex- uh, exploited that um you know majorly yeah it's amazing how um people don't realize especially in like film music any sort of industry that you'll find in a place like Ho- in a place like hollywood or new york where we are um in the entertainment industry how much Psychology like is similar from person to person. You'll have the same fears. It's easy to prey on cult influences. Cult influence. It's easy for someone to fall prey to that if they're if they're in a bad time in their life. Absolutely, and um, I think people are so kind of moving forward in the conversation to maybe more about uh, my experience. I, I I have a feeling that everyone is predisposed to certain things over others like for instance uh, some people have allergies some people have um some people don't like pickles like because pickles are gross like they're truly astoundingly gross um we'll disagree disagree on that (laughs) (laughs) and um so i'll I'll put away these pickle backs that i was going to use to to take care of the drunk part of this episode (laughs) Um, and, you know, so people obviously have, I mean, I'm not breaking any new ground there, but, uh, so one of my predispositions is to function within a group, uh, to find a role within a group. And I find a lot of satisfaction and I find a lot of purpose from being in, being in a group and doing a good job at that one thing in that group, that feeling of community, that feeling of being relied on uh, and 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 fulfilling that duty and, and people being able to rely on me, that that definitely um, who who I am at the core is that's definitely who I am, and I know that uh, now, um, and I had experienced it a little bit before Scientology. Um, in fact, I tried to join the Navy, um, and then I medically wasn't cleared. And after that was kind of when I got into Scientology, and it makes sense because I was looking for that, and I didn't really know that that's what I was looking for. But um, in my late teens, early twenties, I, I I wanted to join the Navy because I, I felt a pull, and I didn't know why at the time. But um, at, at first, I was like, "Oh, it, they put you through school for free. That's really cool." But really. I just like that there is a sense of purpose and 
and, and it's not for everybody. Uh, not everyone would gain that sense of purpose from that, but who I am uh, for surely would have. Uh, you know, people ask me how I got into Scientology, and it's to me it was a very natural transition. Um, do you mind if we go into that portion of? No, oh, no, yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, okay. Uh, it was going to be my next question anyway. So, <laughs> cool, awesome. Yeah, people have asked me um, how, how how did you get into Scientology. And the reason why it was a natural transition was because I grew up around people that were Scientologists, that come from Scientologist families. Uh, to me, it was not a, a super abnormal thing. It's just like if you were to grow up around Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or even Catholic, like whatever religions, like even if you're not a part of them, you it's not super weird for people to be a part of it because it's just they came from where you grew up, you know? I had several uh, really good friends, uh, really close friends growing up that were uh, that were Scientologists, and it just didn't, it wasn't a weird thing. It was just a, a thing that people are. And that's weird to a lot of people because Scientology is a very foreign uh, entity to them. A lot of people haven't had experience with Scientology, especially in the more rural areas of, of America. It's, it is very, very weird. Um, to me, I grew up in Los Angeles for the most part, and um, and you know, out out where I lived, there was there's a bunch of them, you know, um, and in in the area that I lived in, uh, Tahunga Sumland, which is like this uh, area, in the, it's like butted up, uh, butted up against uh, these beautiful mountains, and it's <clears throat> about twenty minutes from downtown, but it's still. You feel like you've escaped L.A. a little bit because you're in the mountains. It's slightly isolated. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, there was a lot of Scientologist activity up there. So um, I, growing up around it, I, you know, I, I wasn't involved uh, until I was, um, so I, I first got involved when I was uh, 19 going on 20. Uh, and the way that I got involved was... I started working for a sound company, uh, being a sound engineer. That that um, that's kind of I knew that's what I wanted to do very early on. So, worked for a sound company that was being uh, that was owned and operated by a Scientologist from Paris, um, and he was very involved in Paris. And then he came over here, and he was still involved, but he he wanted to focus on his sound company. So um, I started working for him very closely, uh, became his kind of right-hand man, and he was running his business with Scientology uh, concepts and ideals, and uh, <clears throat> in Scientology there's very specific um, organiz organizational tools that, uh, that they use that you can study that he was using, um, and he actually uh, bought me classes at these places that you can go and study uh, the organizational tools for Scientology, and I did that, and I was really good at it. I was like, and at the time, at the time, it wasn't directly connected with Scientology. It wasn't like you know, uh, Scientology Business School. They'll never say that, but that's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, it, it, it has Hubbard's name on it, yeah. but it's not 
you know, is that like L. Ron Hubbard Scientology School for Business? It's just Hubbard Business School. Yeah, right. So uh, being in that sound company, he had me to, uh, taking classes, which is a very uh, obfuscated way to say Scientology. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard, um, the creator of Scientology, is Scientology. Um to a Scientologist, uh, anything that he said or wrote, uh, it, it could have, even if it's on a napkin, that's that's their uh, spiritual text. That's their, uh, that's what they believe, okay. um, or it forms the foundation of what they believe. And and what it, what it is now, with the things like the organ, with the administrative technology, is them taking L. Ron Hubbard's works. And reworking them, massaging them into a f- different forms uh, for people to consume. Um, it's it's brilliant marketing and, and um, you know. Uh, so Scientologists call their churches; they call them organizations. They don't call them churches. Uh, so when you go take classes or when when you go, you know, get Scientology services, you go to the org, short for organization. Um, because it is not a church, it is an organization. Um, just as Red Cross is an organization, uh, you know, just as Chase Bank is an organization. Same kind of thing. So uh, I was uh, taking these administrative technology classes, which is basically how Scientologists uh, run their business. Okay. And they share that with, you know, people in other businesses to A, help them run their business, and then B, also plant the seed of Scientology in those businesses. Does that make sense? So Yeah, no, it makes sense because it, on one level, it's like train the trainer kind of a thing. Like, we want you to help grow the business. We like this model. I'm going to pay to get you trained. But sure. you're in a super, super regimented, formulaic way. <sighs> I'll tell you. So, um... One of the greatest tools that Scientologists have, and indeed any religion or organization or any a human endeavor has, is nomenclature or the words that they use to specifically mean something else than you're used to. Because in any group, one of the things that that makes you feel like you're a part of the group is language, right? Uh, whether you're a human being and you're around other people and you learn the language, right? Um, like, you know English, do you know any other languages? Yes, I know a couple other. Okay, see, that's, and that, that, but if you're around those people, you're immediately higher up in the community because you know their language. So, um, and learning that administrative technology or teaching that to business people, they start to plant the seeds of, of their nomenclature, of their uh, of their ideology, and that you're not going to hear anywhere else. So, it, it, so it's easier to kind of get uh, to corral people into their group uh, with their the words that they choose to use for the different meanings. Um, so that's where I first encountered, like, you know, the specific terms and terminology that they would use that I would become very familiar with, and. And I would become a proponent of later on uh, was that was that organizational stuff. So kind of like on a very benign, going back to the linguistic mm. level, 
Um, like if you grow up among people who all speak or had spoken Italian, for example, yeah. if they're all using like idioms and you just kind of like learn to pick those up, if they actually start trying to teach you Italian, it'll be easier for you to learn it. And if you're actually dropped into Italy, it's easier for you to integrate into the culture because you've already got more than a foot in the door. Absolutely. Your, your, your base levels are already heightened. Uh, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. Or it's like, uh, you know, even, even in business in general, you know, oh, our fourth quarter, you know, uh, earnings of our, you know, uh, you know, you can use all these specific businessy terms and, um, and then you can learn them, but that doesn't make you a business person but it gives you a, you can communicate with them, yeah. right? So, um, I, uh, let's get some coffee here. Mm. Nope. Ah, thank you, Uncle Sam. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It's, it's Starbucks. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what you're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, last night was brought to you by Ardberg. Today is brought to you by Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Starbucks. Um, thank you for kicking us out. They, they essentially kicked us out. They didn't want us there. They play, They turned the music up. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, but uh, other places to record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, which I don't know if they'd be interested, but we are sitting 24 levels above uh, ground zero in, in New York City. Uh, beautiful sunny day in New York. Uh, looking at the... That's the Hudson River, right? Yeah, it's the Hudson over there. Uh, look at that. So... Really pretty New York. You New Yorkers, are, are, do, are people, are there a lot of people, local people listening? Um, a couple people who I personally know listen, okay. but the people who I don't know, according to like the schematics, the weirdly enough, uh, apparently a lot of my listeners are in like, Germany and Japan. Wow. I don't know why. Wow. Um, <clears throat> That's awesome. But, yeah. yeah. And, and, a, and a couple very dedicated people in the Midwest who send me hate mail, <laughs> um, which I think is great. I just... Uh, Oh, that's awesome! Well, love well, you guys. Yeah, if you if you haven't been to New York, it's it's a lovely place. Recommend it for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so moving forward, um, so I was working in this sound company, uh, doing what I truly love and what I have a a great propensity for is sound engineering, and that's to me, you know, I, I've come to find uh, this is you know giving away the, the, end, the ending of the story, but I've come back to that as my true passion. And, and it's really um, paid out dividends in the past few years. So, um, you know, that's, it was my true passion. I was doing it really well. And <clears throat> one day I come into work and I was, just, I was just bummed. You know, people get bummed. Yeah. It's okay to be bummed. If you're bummed out there, it's okay. Um, Bad days are allowed. In fact, there's a great, 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 great song, a great philosophical art, like perfection art piece by Daniel Powder called Bad Day. If you had a bad day, sing me down. Amazing. I actually, no joke, love that song. It's, it has gotten me out of the funk so many times. I, I just, just listen to it. Um, I have a really funny story about that, but um, I will leave that be. Uh, you could throw it in there if you want. Okay, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, uh, no, 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 you, we're good. Yeah, we're, you've got a bit of time constraint out, and I want the... We are good. 
Uh, okay, real quick story. May make it or may not. It may. It's just fun to have it recorded. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> there was a twenty-four hour, near where I grew up. There was a twenty-four hour coffee uh, coffee and donut shop called Foster's Donuts, and uh, it's twenty-four hours. So it became the high school, you know, early twenties hangout for late night, right? Um, so one day, my friend and I drive by, and we notice there's like. Some like, you know, those high school gangbanger guys, like the dudes who, who remember the dudes who looked like they were in Dragon Ball Z. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. D- what happened? You I don't guys? know. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know. Very um, glad that that passed. Um, so many fads. Oh man. Um, so, anyways, they had super spiked up hair, but their pants were droopy and huge jackets, like just a weird. Weird vibe. Yeah. Um, but they were very serious. That's the whole point. They were very serious about their business. They were sitting outside uh, smoking and drinking coffee or whatever they're doing. Um, and my buddy and I noticed this, so we, so I had an idea. So <laughs> we rolled the windows down. We, we turned into the parking lot, and I put on Bad Day by Daniel Powder as loud as our stereo system will allow it to go. And he and I looked straight forward, and with just, and then we looked like we were about to cry. But at the same time, we tried to be look very tough. So there's two, you know, young men driving through this parking lot in front of all these guys, <laughs> blasting. So you had a bad day, and we're like looking like we're about to cry. <laughs> and uh, and and as soon as we got out of the parking lot, I I uh, I think I cried laughing until my I could my my cheeks hurt it was just the best um <laughs> taking this themselves way too seriously yeah had to it, burst their bubble slightly oh my goodness gracious dude <laughs> uh and actually funnily enough that buddy of mine was is uh, comes from a Scientologist family uh-huh. yeah um yeah so it was they're not they're not like abnormal humans like they are perfectly wonderful normal uh, lovely human beings, you know. Uh, to this day, I consider him one of my best friends and one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Which actually brings me to uh, to the big question. Sure. Since you like grew up where this was kind of like a normal thing, and it you had that slow introduction to it, the way most people who get into cults do. Yeah. At what point did you notice things were off, and maybe you should get out of where you? <laughs> that that's a great question. Was there a specific turning point, or did it just suddenly? There there was a I I I can point to a very specific turning point. However, it, chronologically, it's a little bit ahead in the story. I'm happy to jump there. Um, if you want to jump there, if you want to like talk a little bit uh, more about some, what it was actually like being you know neck deep in Scientology. Up to you. Yeah. It's whatever you think is interesting to or whatever the format is you know there is no format and I'm interested in both I'm interested in both I'm sure my listeners are interested in both Um, but that is something I I will not forget and that is a very important part of the story to me Um, so I I would I I will definitely cover that point so anyways I I walk into work one day and the owner of the sound company notices that I'm bummed and and he and he says Dalio what's going on and uh, I said, oh, you know, just kind of, my mom and I are going through ups and downs, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. He says, 
I have the perfect uh, thing. Go to the Scientology Church and do overcoming ups and downs in your life. I can't do a French accent, but that's approximately. Yeah, that's kind of like. Um, and because it, 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 I remember that specific terminology, I said my mom and I are going through ups and downs, and he said go to the Church of Scientology and do a course called Overcoming the Ups and Downs of Life. I mean, that's like you coming to me and saying, oh, uh, yeah, I have a real hankering for a spinach, uh, you know, um, croissant. Like, oh, well, here's a spinach croissant, dude. I just happened to have one. (laughs) Serendipity, man. Yeah, no, that's... It, it was, Honestly, I would be like, hmm, that's weird. I'm going to leave. Oh, interesting. Because <laughs> me personally, I'm just like, don't like that. Bye. See, see <laughs> and, and, and I guess kind of more I am who at the, at the core of who yeah. I am, I, I'm a very... Um, like, oh, fate handed me to this. I better yeah, check it out. Yeah, like, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I'm a... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I, I have it... I have this push to believe something. Yeah. Um, and just, just, you know, the place where I've come to is that, that something has become myself. Now I, I, whenever I feel that push to, uh, externalize my faith, I, I notice it and I kind of rein it in. I say, you know what? I'm also worth believing in because that was the, the element that I was missing before. I was just searching, pushing out. What to believe and what to grab onto. What what's going to make me whole, you know? And um, so at that point, I was like, "Oh yeah, like, fuck, bring it on!" Yeah, you like know? this is perfect. Yeah, oh, literally. Yeah, like I'm yeah. presenting this this hole in myself, and he's saying, "Hey, I have this perfect fit, you know, for for this thing." So um, so I was like, "Perfect." So I he gave me the day off. Uh, I went to the local what they call a mission um, and which is like a, a smaller Scientology church organization um, where you can't get all the services that you'd get at a normal at, at the bigger organizations but um, you can do things like courses you can do things like low level uh, auditing which is their version of therapy okay. um, so it's like an annex exactly kind of like an annex uh, there, there's and the 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 thought being that there's more missions than orgs and there's kind of like, you know, they're the smaller roots of the tree getting out there in the communities. Um, so I went there and uh, I started uh, overcoming the ups and downs of life. And typically, typically takes about two, two and a half days to complete. Um, I started it and got 90% done in, on the first day. And then just didn't really make it back the next day. Um, you know, uh, excuses, excuses, but, uh, you know, I, work got in the way, whatever got in the way. I started the course, and I immediately loved it, and I, I equivalent of chugged the beer. You know, yeah. like, I just ate it up. I couldn't get enough. I sped through it, and then kind of, started applying it right away, which is why I didn't necessarily go back the next day. And then, uh, I remember that was on a, that was on, that was on a Thursday and every Sunday, um, uh, me and, and several friends and a lot of acquaintances 
would play ultimate frisbee at this one park. Uh, happened, happened, the park happened to be butted up against a Scientology school. And several of my friends were Scientologists. And um, so every Sunday I'd, we'd go and play frisbee. And that particular Sunday, <clears throat> um, I, I, had, I had been introduced to a girl, but for whatever reason, this Sunday, her and I hit it off. We started to do, we started to be interested in each other. Um, and in fact, uh, she kind of, like, we kind of made plans that night. We were like, oh, she was like, oh, I might be watching, like, a movie, having a movie night later. And someone overheard us, and he was like, oh, that sounds great. Oh, I'll come too. And like, so it was me, this other dude, and this girl <laughs> having a movie night. And, like, the whole, t and it became a contest of who who was going to outlast the awkwardness the the most gets the girl <laughs> and uh like like seating position and like it was all it was a chess match and and I won so um <clears throat> so her and I uh he eventually left that night and um and her and I like hit it off and we just talked and had a great night um the next day we went on another date uh, another uh, the first date, <laughs> uh, and and I had known that she was a Scientologist. I know she came from a Scientology family, uh, but I didn't know if it was a big part of her life or not. Um, so I think by the middle of that next week, <clears throat> I I had not been back to course, and her and I got to talking, and she was like, "Oh yeah, well I'm I, I'm going to course, you know." I think it was like Wednesday. I'm going to course tonight. You know, blah blah blah. And I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm on course too, actually. And she was like, oh really? Like she was super into that. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So, so her and I went back, and I finished my course that night. And she did her course, uh, and I, th I th actually think she finished it as well, <clears throat> whatever she was on. And and then. I was just super into it. I at that point, because she was like super into me, and she was super into me being super into it. Like it was. So I'm like, oh man, I have the same hobby as you. Look at me doing this hobby. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I I was I became very interested. Signed up for my next course that night, um, and her and I decided to do a course together. Mm -hmm. um, I think we did uh, the way to happiness, which is um, well, that's cute. <laughs> I, it, it, it's adorable. It is, it, it, it is adorable. There's nothing wrong with it. No, you I, know, there really isn't. Like <laughs> this, this is sounding so, and I don't know how you're gonna take this. This is sounding very much like the beginning of like like very Stepford, just kind of like boy meets girl, boy fall, boy falls for girl, like. Uh, boy and girl sign up to do Scientology course about happiness together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not far off. Um, it's not how it played out for me, but yeah. it is how it plays out for a yeah, lot of that. People. That first week, at the very least, that's what it looked uh, like. It was absolutely like. Um, like this is the. Uh... I do actually have a question about is this the coursework, and I don't know how much you feel comfortable going into details about it. Um, is it like? 
doing you're sitting there doing homework in like a lecture oh that's a very cute uh, <laughs> picture for the it's a little um for those of you in the podcast who obviously can't see who are listening it's like a, some hills you can't just shove it at the microphone it's just like some hills and a sunrise yeah. tree happy trees it it's is like, clearly the way to happiness yeah it's like there's some, like a path you know it's like it's like Bob Ross painted that when he had a particularly good cup of coffee that morning. <laughs> um, yeah, someone sprinkled like crack in his coffee. <laughs> that was a Bob Ross on crack picture I just witnessed. That's the cover for the course. And is it like you're like read a lecture and then or like <clears throat> sitting at, or is it more like you have to do interactive exercises? Is there like a tutor? Great, great, great question. So for those of you who have never been in a, a Scientology course, which I'm guessing is probably a lot of you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Scientology courses are given either at missions or organizations, and um, they are overseen by uh, someone you might think of as an instructor. Uh, they call them supervisors, okay. um, course supervisors, and that's eventually what I became. That was that eventually became my job in the church. Jumping ahead a little bit, but um, so essentially, this course supervisor is. is basically as a as a course room you come in and everyone's on different courses or a lot of people can be on the same courses um it doesn't matter what course they're on that course supervisor is going to help them through whatever it is um and so for instance uh i, I the way to happiness is is just a book that you read and you and you have, you do exercises on it um, some of them, a lot of them are, uh, think of a time when you were happy, blah, 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 and you write it down. Another thing in the book could be, uh, go over to the window and, um, you know, five, find five things that you, outside that you, that you could be happy about. Okay. So that's like a physical exercise. Um, so that, those particular book courses are combinations of, written and physical exercises sometimes speaking exercises like it might say you know uh, find a partner and do x y or z yeah so uh that's the majority of the book courses uh at um so at some missions and all uh, so all organizations can do all the courses some a lot of the missions can only do the book courses or some low level um other courses um and so but as you progress along in your training um the courses get you know um either more and more intense on the book side or or the physical side um there's courses that are purely physical courses uh so the um there's a there's a course that uh, the um Let's say I'll give you the lower version one. <clears throat> um, uh, there's a communications course that you can take that has a written book section and then an all physical section, which is. And some of you may be, you know, I've seen this in the different uh, films about Scientology. It's, it's where you uh, sit with a partner and you guys go through the different uh, steps of communication. Uh, the first one is like being there. So literally you're just sitting in front of your partner. Uh, first time is with your eyes closed, second time with your eyes open. And the goal is to do hours of sitting there, doing nothing, 
and not twitching, not falling asleep, not like having any sort of reaction to that. Just being able to sit there. Kind of like a mindfulness meditation. Absolutely. Uh, with someone else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of, you know, if you think about it that way, you're, you're, you're practicing mindfulness on uh, your, your, your level of confrontation to a person. And not confrontation meaning uh, combativeness. Confrontation meaning I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. This is me being able to exist in this space. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, physical presence. Sure, right, exactly. Because, you know, uh, uh, for instance, uh, the guy at the um, at Starbucks, <clears throat> I went and I ordered my thing, uh, and he... He engaged. He was. He engaged me, but he was. He was not quite there, um, because, for instance, I asked for an iced coffee. I asked, "Hey, could you guys do an iced coffee?" And he kind of retreated it in his shell a little bit. He was like, "Cause he he didn't want to let me down." He was like, "Well, we can do this. We don't have iced coffee. We don't have like the fancy stuff, but we can do this." And um, so he was physically there but he wasn't necessarily as as there as as you you uh, as he could have been yeah um and you you see fatigue for that a lot like i've worked in and out of um service jobs and in and out of people who are like with people who do like lots of retail work as like their second job and it's easy to get fatigued Mm -hmm. especially like when you're in an urban environment and to not be able to be there yeah so it's actually interesting having to focus on that so so scientologists would call that your level of confront or your your confrontation level and and again not a combative not a combative word but your your ability to just literally exist in the universe as a solid point of time and space and matter um, so like if if we were both Scientologists and you were fatigued or whatever I would be able to say to you like hey your confront's down you need to you know you need to be there okay and uh, and, and I would uh, or I would I would say oh you need to do exercise X, Y, or Z <clears throat> um, which would to you would mean oh my I need to work on this this or this so um I'm sorry, did you have... Well, I was just wanted to check. So then the coursework, everybody has done this amount of courses. Like, there are some that are required. Like, So um, each course has its own requisites. Some of them are just the requisite is just for you to have, be a person. <laughs> uh, like, the way to happiness. Anyone can do it. Um, Human 101 courses. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the higher courses, you would need to have done certain stepping stones to that course. So so I, I hope that answers the court. Yeah. The, it gives you an idea of what it's like to be on course in Scientology. Um, but back to your own personal path and trajectory. Yeah, sure. Towards um, real, realizing something's wrong. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so her and I started a course. I think we went back the next evening. We started The Way to Happiness, right? I think we... I think we went back every night that week. Uh, also, while like dating, which it was, it was awesome. <laughs> it was, it was great. Um, it was a great way to be introduced to a religion. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, it as it turned out, 
so the way to happiness, you can do the course in like two days or something. And uh, and when I say days, courses go by in three-hour periods. So when you're on course, you either go from like three to six or from seven to ten. Um, or if you're crazy, you can go the whole day and you can do all those time frames. But typically people do one chunk a day. And there's actually something to be said because in the course room, you're not allowed to have your cell phone. You're not allowed to you'll be distracted by the outside world. So it is actually kind of cool to have three hours every day where you're not distracted by anything. It's kind of actually something I would like to get into a routine in my own life. Yeah. Maybe I should do Scientology. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am part of a reenactment group where everyone is constantly joking, half joking about how it's a cult. Whenever we go on camping trips or whatever, it's like there's an 18 day period every summer where I am like 90% unplugged. It's kind of like, awesome. I'm off the globe. You cannot find me. Yes. It drives people nuts. There's something great about it, though. Yeah. Something essential, I think, about it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so as it turns out, I actually am speeding through the course. Like, I just eat it up. I just, like, if Scientology was, was a liquor, I'm doing shots, man. I'm just, like, slamming it down. And uh, the girl had, again, had been uh, born and raised in Scientology, <clears throat> and she was, uh, had a much slower pace. Um, so it turned out that uh, I was g- going through these courses throughout the next couple weeks, and I-, I was like a good four or five courses ahead of her at one point. And, um, and that was, I think, the beginning of, like, the... the the cracks in our relationship um and because i was finishing courses in in times that the the people in that mission had never seen they were literally record-setting times um sounds super braggy but like (laughs) but but you you were you'd found the teat of knowledge and you were chugging it like i forget how exactly how that quote goes but yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely i i I was just really it, it it came at a time in my life where I needed, I needed to get consumed in something. Yeah, and that was it. Um, so I, uh, I'm doing courses. I'm doing courses. So uh, eventually, I get to the big boy, Dianetics, which is a book, uh, a, a, um, a, a therapy philosophy solution that L. Ron Hubbard uh, had had thought up. Um, in 1950, and uh, it's a it's a big book, uh, uh, 400 and something, 75 pages, I think. Um, and it's it's a dense book. There's a lot to it. Um, so I started that, and that was the beginning of me becoming a dynetic auditor. Okay, now. Again, auditing is Scientology's form of therapy, and there's dynetic auditing, and then there's Scientological auditing, okay? Um, dynetic auditing is purely based off of that first book that, that L. Ron Hubbard first wrote before he had Scientology. It was basically, it's a form of talk therapy. There's no, typically there's no physical element to it. There's no hypnotical element to it, um, Hypnotic. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, hypnotic element. Hyp- uh, yeah. Um, 
essentially just so dynamic auditing is is basically just talk therapy, uh, no real physical element to it. And so I read the book, and I actually went to uh, I did what it, what they call the dynamic workshop, um, which is uh, a bunch of people learning it at the same time, but a very condensed version you'd learn in like two days. Yeah. A dynamic seminar, um, and I did that. And at the end of that seminar, you actually do dynamic auditing with you and your partner. And so I did, and uh, I didn't actually have a partner at that time, so I was the because uh, I was the odd man out. I was actually partnering up with a bunch of different people, and as it turned out, I was giving. I, I, I was the auditor for a lot of those first times and then I think I only did it once but that planted the seed of me loving being the auditor being the helper you know instead of the helped and that that set the groundwork for my time in in Scientology I think they noticed that I had a pretty good um, aptitude for it so right after that they asked they, they said hey uh, oh, actually, so the conversation went like this. Okay, so what's your next step? Or, or so the next step for you is this course, right? Now, as I said, I'd been doing four, five, six courses at that time. Each course was kind of increasing in price. Yeah. Uh, and so I finally got to the next step where it was like the next step is going to cost about uh, 1200 bucks, you know. And to me, being you know fresh in my twenties, that's that ain't no small amount of money. Yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> and I was making okay money at the time. I was working a lot, doing what I loved, and and um, but here I was falling in love with something else, you know. So I was like, oh, I I can't, I actually can't afford that. So they said, no problem. If you join staff as a volunteer, you could take all your courses for free. And I said, whoop de doo Like, holy cow. Like, sign me up. That is... <laughs> All my dreams are coming true. I... Seriously, dude, I felt like... Yeah. I felt like I was on cloud nine. Um, and so they signed me up for staff. Uh, what they do not tell you is that once you join staff, you cannot do courses for yourself until you complete the entire training regiment for being on staff, which can take up to five years. Oh, so how long were you um, on staff? Uh, I just shy of five years, actually. Just shy. Yeah, so uh, 2000, 2007? Yeah, going to 2007, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Yeah, so I got out of 2011. So, yeah, about four years, four, four and a half years. So you were almost done with your training. You were doing, you're getting your courses for free. You are doing something you loved. What made you pull away from all that sure 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 so so I, I joined staff and they actually had me start doing dynetic auditing okay um which is people coming in and paying for dynetic auditing and i became the main dynetic auditor in in about five months uh less than six months i did 400 hours of dynetic auditing on people i became really good at it i just I, I, every waking moment, I just started, I wanted to do that. And my work started to suffer. I became, like, unable to, like, do both, like, work and this other thing. Like, literally, I would, I would work from, like, 
6 a.m. to noon, and then be at the mission from noon to about 2, 3 a.m., and then just do that every day, every, every day for months on end. I, I so at one point I was like, I was like, like, I can't, I need to choose one or the other. The thing about being on staff was it's unpaid. It's a volunteership. Uh, so then at that point, it became, the conversation turned to, okay, well, the Pasadena Org, which is the larger uh, church, you know, um, nearby, is looking for people. So here I am working at the mission. So the org comes to me and they basically recruit me. Um, they say, you know, we want you on staff full time. It's still a volunteer position, but I, you would get paid like 13 bucks a week. You know, reasonable. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's a whole thing. And they were like, but we'll like find you a place to stay. We'll, you know, we'll work with you. Uh, the place they found for me to stay, by the way. Well, okay, so I should back up. So they were moving buildings. Uh, and they were moving into this spectacular brick building, big, you know, impressive building. And, um, but for them to become, uh, to have what's called ideal status, so an ideal org, they needed X amount of people to go to Florida to train uh, in, their, in their certain positions. Uh, so they shipped me off to Florida. Um, I went to Florida and they decided that instead of doing the auditing, still, uh, which I had been doing for about a year or so, um, I would be doing, uh, I, I would train to be a course supervisor. Okay, so I go to Clearwater, Florida. Uh, I live there from uh, late February to October. So all the hottest months of the year, yeah. all the, the greatest, most hot, humid months of the year, Every, by the way, I, I, before Florida, I did not sweat. I had, there was no such thing as sweating for me. And I went to Florida and I developed sweat glands. That place is a horrific nightmare. It's very, very humid. Oh, It's very humid. So anyway, so I, I go and I train, which in and of itself could be, uh, you know, uh, several hours long of a podcast. Like that experience of being in Clearwater, Florida, surrounded by only Scientologists, no contact. I didn't tell my family what I was doing. They had no idea I was in Florida. You know, they, because they wouldn't have, they would have tried to not let me go. My family and my non-Scientologist friends were not a part of Scientology. They didn't like that I was getting so involved. My mom in particular, uh, was very, uh, adamant against it. Um, so I go to Florida, and uh, I'm, I'm like the training is intense. It is gnarly every single day, not a single day off, uh, from from about six a.m. till about uh, two to four in the morning, every single day. Training from from when you wake up to when you go to sleep. I had to live in a uh, I lived in a hotel room. That was made into what they call birthing. Um, that it, so the room where it, it was it was a it was about a ten foot by twelve foot room that that was that was living ten guys. Ten guys. Ten guys. 
about a foot per guy. <laughs> um, we all had we, there's there's five bunk beds yeah. in there, and it's like um, shoving them up on either side. Yep, that's, yeah, barely walk and everything. Um, I was gonna say birthing sounds a lot like it would be something on a boat, but yeah, no, I can see why they uh-huh. why they're using the terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in Scientology, especially as you get into the um, uh, the more extreme uh, parts of it, uh, like the Sea Organization, which is their paramilitary arm that executes a lot of the um, uh, a, a lot of the the, the the things around the world that they need to happen, whether it's finding people, whether it's you know uh, disseminating Scientology in some way. Uh, <clears throat> like Saint, uh, the Sea Org is an organization that's technically based on the sea, so they have a boat called the Free Winds, which is their um, it's a big old cruise ship kind of thing, uh, which is their um, one of their main home bases. And, and then they're also based in Clearwater, Florida. A lot of the terms they use are nautical terms, and nautical terms, and a lot of military terms as well. And um, so, here I am in, in Clearwater, Florida, um, you know, doing this training. And again, I am like just a barbarian. I just like smash through it like no one's ever seen. And in fact, this course that that I was doing was. It was a, a, a course that had only been out for a couple of years. Uh, it was called the uh, Hubbard Professional Course Supervisor Course, um, the HBCSC. And uh, it was a course where I had to learn about, I, learned, I had to learn how to do everything because like I said before, the course supervisor does, it doesn't matter what course you're on, whether it's the most advanced or the least advanced, one course supervisor that handles all of it so I had to learn all of it and typically that course takes about uh, three years to complete and I did it in nine months Um, and uh, I learned I became professionally certified on how to use uh, the e-meter which is I think everyone's you know has seen the image of uh, Scientologists having this uh, uh, this meter in front of them and people holding onto tin cans or what looks like tin cans um, <clears throat> if you've ever been offered a stress test at a Scientology center that's what it is the it's, e-meter, yeah. it's the e-meter um, I became professionally certified in that uh, I uh, had, to, had to do um, I had to become professionally certified in, in, in Scientological auditing uh, specifically, word clearing and um, and basically uh, troubleshooting students. Uh, and and again, I just I ate it up. I finished the course in record time. I I wanted to be the best at that. I wanted to be the best at my little cog. You know, yeah, like being a helper. I want I wanted to be the cog in the, in the machine. machine. Exactly. I wanted to be the cog in the machine. That, and I wanted to be the best darn cog there ever was, you know, which is kind of ridiculous because a cog is a cog, you know, <laughs> it's still a freaking, it's any cog could do that job, you know. Um, so I, uh, you know, sailed through it. Uh, it was such a, uh, and there was a lot of signage there that should have, that should have made me go, okay, wow, this is actually pretty unhealthy yeah 
there was a lot of times I could have said that, but due to A, the velocity of the training, meaning just being slammed through it, I wasn't able to really take that in. I was, I had a mission and I, you know, it, it wasn't about, like if something crazy would happen, something else was following so close behind it that it didn't matter. Um, for instance, um, one day, a few months in, I, I get called to uh, this office and they say, okay, uh, your mom's on the phone and we need you to talk her down because she's threatening to have the police involved because she thinks you're missing. Because she obviously had no idea where the... I was, man. Yeah. Like, it was, it was really crazy. So... I got on the phone with her after months of not talking to her, yeah, and uh, had basically talk her off the ledge of she wanted to launch a full-blown uh, investigation. She wanted to get the authorities involved, and I had to basically say, I'm okay. I'm doing something that I'm really good at. I'm in Florida. Don't worry about me. And, and I think back to that, and if I had been... It, it, like to to me now that makes me sick like that's hor- imagine that as a mother your your one of your children being like you know I'm off doing this insane thing this crazy thing and uh she had to just deal with it um and I was like I should be back by the end of the year blah 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 so um so that was like one thing that I just and then just on to the next thing just boom yeah. just blow through it it's like oh it, it distracted me for all of five minutes got it, it done now I'm back absolutely yeah. um, slightly off course back on the course yeah exactly yeah 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 um, so <laughs> and and just the whole Clearwater itself is such a trip man it's um, it's 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 a different world it's uh, if you're there as a Scientologist it's it's um it's a different different level of intensity. So anyways, um, so I get back to California and uh, the Pasadena org, and by this time, by the way, I had sold every single thing I ever owned to pay for, you know, living this whole time while volunteering, to pay for my flight out there, uh, to pay for everything. I had sold, I had, I had, I had like 13 guitars. I sold all those, all my studio equipment. Uh, my car, I, I sold my car to a Scientologist. Um, and like, I just, I had less than nothing. I, I, I just, I didn't have any physical possessions. Um, I had no contact with my family. I had no contact with my friends. And I, I mean, you think about it now, and that's insane. But to me, it was a mission. Yeah. So I get back in the Pasadena org, uh, who says they'll take care of me. I mean, I guess they did, because they put me up in a Scientologist's house. And the only place there was for me to sleep was in the upstairs kitchen, which had a breakfast, uh, a, a, a nook thing that was about, uh, I don't know, 
Like a foot and a half a wide. A foot and a half wide. So I could only sleep sideways <laughs> for months on end. I could only sleep sideways. So it's like one of those little like benches or like cushioned benches you'll have. Like, yeah, yep, yeah. you nailed it. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's where I lived for, gosh, about a year. So when I got back, uh, I just was full force Scientologist. I was... I was on all. I was on the cover of their magazines because uh, I was like, you know, finished the course in record time. I was doing this ideal org thing, which is a very new thing. It was like a very kind of, um, you know, not experimental, but like, a, you know, it, it was something for the Scientologists to look forward to. Ideal orgs, you know. And um, New York has one, by the way. I was full force into that, and. At, at one point, I had the thought of, of someone in, that I went to high school with. And I was like, I, I want to be with them. So I joined Facebook because <laughs> uh, I, really I wasn't really supposed to be on Facebook or you know, have a cell phone. or I, I was just supposed to just do that. And like um, around like 2010, 2009-ish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you, and you had been pretty much cut off from social media. Yeah, and cell phones. Absolutely. Right, I just want to get the time frame. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 Exactly. So and so I, yeah. I had the idea. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna be with this person based on like, <laughs> from me going to high school with them and me just being like, I remember me wanting to be with them back then, and now I I'm gonna have them. You know, just created it. Gonna do it. Um, Got on the Facebook thing and and uh, got in contact with her and I said, hey, uh, I don't know if you remember me, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh my God, yeah. I was like, uh, do you want to go on a hike tomorrow, right? And uh, so she said, yeah, totally. So we went on a hike. But, but I was staying in Pasadena at the time, so it was, it was by my place in Pasadena. And uh, we left on the hike. And then when we came back from the hike, we were basically going out. Like, we were holding hands, and it was clear that that was what was going to happen. So, um, which is, just to jump ahead a little bit, um, she's a lovely, lovely person, and it was one of those things where, had it been a different time, it would have been a great relationship. Uh, I don't, anything I say about her is, I'm not meaning to say anything bad about her. It was a very, very... Odd time. Yeah. So you were you were kind of, you know, very very deep into Scientology at the time. Exactly. So um, so we start dating, yeah. uh, which is very difficult because at first, I I didn't mention that I was part of Scientology. Just, just glossed over that. Glossed over detail. Okay. Detail. Got it. Uh, and because it was the first moment since entering Scientology that where I felt like oh not everyone might, it could happen to you know not everyone would be cool with it yeah so I was like oh well I don't even so I, I was just like okay so we just started going out and I waited three months long time it was it was <clears throat> a very hard task to juggle full time Scientology and trying to date this girl who's not has no idea what Scientology is that's yeah it was bad like I can't <laughs> it's like what have you been doing for the past like you know 
five years, by the way. I haven't seen mm-hmm. Trevor. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, went down to Florida. Yep, yep. I, Disney I, World? Yeah, Disney <laughs> World. <laughs> That's where I was for five years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, finally let her in. And at that point, we were pretty involved and, and uh, you know, pretty infatuated for sure. And so she said, okay, well, it, it sucks that you didn't tell me. And I think that actually kind of formed the cracks in our relationship for sure. Because, uh, you know, how, how are you going to trust someone after that? Yeah. It, I put her in a really bad spot. And uh, and so we, uh, <laughs> oh man, um, we started dating. She was like, okay, well, I like you, you know, uh, what's this all about? Oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention um, this is and this is this is heavy. Um, so before I told her, my superiors in Scientology uh, knew that I was had found out that I was tra- like seeing someone, and they were like, "Okay, well, <clears throat> that's cool, but you need to bring her in." That's when I told yeah, her. I, w- I was gonna wonder <laughs> what was the internal conversation because it's not like that's gonna go unnoticed, right? Yeah. So that's when I told her, and um, that's when I, I, shortly after that is when I brought her in for the first time, and it, it's a very impressive building, it's very shiny, and it's very, like, you know, it's very slick, you know, if I took you there, and you had no idea what it was, you'd be like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool, like, what, yeah. what is this? <laughs> this and is fun. So, eventually got her involved, and she eventually joined staff. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so her and I became like a power couple, you know, Scientological power couple, and which I think was also very bad for our relationship because it was a lot of pressure, you know, um, very weird thing. So we did that for about another about another year and um, uh, or more, maybe a year and a half, um, <clears throat> and then shit started to hit the fan, and. This whole time, these things have these cracks have been building, right? Uh, but I, I was really good at pushing them down. Uh, to answer your question that you asked a while back, the cracks were starting to form. Actually, they had started to form a long time ago, but especially me in this relationship um, and things becoming a little stressful between her and I um, were bringing things to the surface. Um, so the moment of clarity of when I realized how unhealthy this whole thing had been for me came when a friend of our a friend of so my girlfriend and I a friend of ours I had introduced to Scientology had to Dianetics Um, he was going through a pretty wild time and, and what I didn't know at the time was he's diagnosed pretty extreme bipolar uh, with the tendency for schizophrenia, and I, I didn't know that, so I, all I knew was that he was going through a rough time. And me, being the good Scientologist guy, what do I know works? Scientology. So I bring him in, get him introduced to Dianetic auditing. I think he goes through one or maybe two sessions, and then and at that point, uh, I was not living in the kitchen anymore. Her, her and I were living. He was our roommate. We were living together. So um, we come home. Myself, my girlfriend, and a good friend of mine, to this day, I still consider him a good friend. We 
we arrive at our place and I go to open the door and and there's stuff behind it and I'm like whoa what the heck so kind of like calling out and went home I push open the door and um, all the items in the house furniture uh, you know backpacks whatever you can imagine had been laid out and arranged on the floor to create this big um, spiraling pattern on the floor and, and it was so and like there was a lamp right behind the door so I, I kind of forced my way in and I'm like oh wow this is this is bad we, I, I checked downstairs and there was there was actually a bat right by the door and I, and I just grabbed the bat because I didn't know what was going on and then all of a sudden I hear crashing upstairs so I'm oh man my heart's beating out of my chest I'm, and I tell my girlfriend go wait in the car my buddy and I I grabbed the bat and he's behind me like <laughs> it was actually kind of like Scooby Doo-ish <laughs> we're just like kind of creeping along uh, <laughs> um, and so we go upstairs and uh in in our roommate's bedroom, um, I hear crashes and and I hear what sounds like uh, glass shattering, and uh, so I'm like, oh shit! Like, and so I knock on the door and I hear him, uh, the roommate. I hear him scream, like yeah, not like surprised or it, it was it was um, uh, the only way I could put it is like he was possessed. Yeah, just it did not sound like him at all it was not in surprise we're like in response but yeah 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 yeah, like yeah it was it was um the only way i could put it is like he was possessed like imagine like you're in a horror film and someone's possessed Uh, his voice was lower than any humans i have ever encountered and he doesn't have like a low voice it was it was it was frightening um so at that point, I knew exactly what was going on. It was him. He was having a psychotic break. He had done everything in the house, and he, he was locked in his room. So I tried to talk to him, and <clears throat> I tried for about ten minutes to talk to him. And he's he's it's 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 like the movies. He was psychotic. There was there was no other, and and I had done all this training in Scientology to deal with psychopaths. The training could not have prepared me for that. It was one of the most harrowing, harrowing moments of my life. So, it eventually, turns out I can't get him to calm down. I can't get him to, you know. So we call the cops, the sheriff station actually, and because um, uh, I, I figured out talking to him that he had broken his his mirror, and he was going to use the glass to like cut himself and you know all that. Um, so we we called the called the authorities and they went the battering ram, battered down the door, and he had the glass. So they uh, pelted him with a beanbag gun and pepper spray, and uh, and carried him out. And it was it was just it was it was insane. It was it was something I'll never forget. Um, and believe it or not, that wasn't the moment. <laughs> the moment came after that so uh, after that he was uh, obviously put in a psych ward and my superiors in Scientology told me 
that I was not going to see him. In fact, that they wanted me to do um, a process or I guess a therapy uh, to try to literally erase him from my memory. They wanted me to never remember having met him. They were. They basically said, uh, "You you are to forget he ever existed. Um, you will you will not see him. You will not talk to him. All that stuff." At that point, he had become a pretty close friend, uh, and he was a close. He was really close to my girlfriend. So for them to say that, that was such a deep cut, as far as, like, because at that point I didn't associate him going him having that psychotic break with Scientology but they but they knew that that was the case and they knew that there would be a huge legal issue if they if that got back to them so I um, uh, so I went to sleep either that night or the next night and I had a dream and uh, the dream went something like imagine seeing your life as a big graph right so like if you're doing well you're up if you're not doing well you're down right it's just yeah. like this right and I noticed that the moment that Scientology entered in my life when I was doing something I loved there it split into two lines and one was this thin gray line that went up and the other was this black line that just went like this straight down straight down and I realized that the gray line was what I was being told was my life, and the black line was my life. And I finally had this dream where it was just slapped across my face. This is what it is. <clears throat> and um, that's the. I woke up and I knew I needed to get out right then. That's exactly when. Uh, told my girlfriend about it, and she said I literally had. Not the same dream, but she, she had a dream that communicated that to her as well. Yeah. Uh, and I said, okay, we're, we're leaving. Next day, we uh, go to an undisclosed location. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I sent send them an email uh, stating my resignation from Scientology. And from that moment on, I have not stepped foot in a Scientology building. I didn't speak to a Scientologist for years. Um, and it's just recently, just this year, that I've been speaking to a couple of my close, close, close friends that are still somewhat involved. Uh, still have never like stepped foot in a church Scientology. So that was April uh, 14th of 2011. When that, when we, the day that, I sent that email, made that break, and did you, like, I'm sure you were like watching your back for like a while, just especially having been in Florida, been like had that whole like power couple experience, and then had yeah. like, well, like I said, and, and so I was literally a poster boy. I was on their posters. Yeah, you were you were on their magazines. You were on their you were actually you were actually the poster boy. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally the poster boy. And then you, and you and you left and you had friends growing up that are and I'm assuming still are involved in Scientology. How did you make the break? How did you feel making that break? So I I made that break um, 
it was it, I the, the kind of the bad thing about it, but also the good thing is I didn't think about it too much because I had that dream and it just came to me all of a sudden and then I knew I needed to get out right then, no matter what. Uh, I think it's better because if I had p- tried to plan it out, I would have talked myself out of it. Okay, It had to be that extreme thing, that finding my friend in a psychotic mess, uh, not being able to see him uh, have seen watching my girlfriend go through this torment, and so yeah, so I, I just literally got out cold turkey, just just ran away. Yeah, I hid from them. My girlfriend and I hid from them. Uh, we didn't go outside except for nighttime for about six months. Um, we didn't start venturing outside during the day, you know, until about you know. Few months after that, we were being pursued every single day. There was uh, Scientology members that would go to uh, extended families' houses, um, as far as uh, as far north as uh, Portland, as far west as Tucson, uh, Tijuana. Um, Scientology was sending people everywhere looking for us, and they never found. We were actually at locations that they would be at, but they wouldn't be able to enter the premises and all this and all this they never found us and it was it was a waiting game because that was the only way we could do it because uh, we had to wait until someone else of higher importance left that's the only way it was going to happen because then the folks would shift toward them you weren't going to be as big yeah yeah, which which ended up happening for sure. Um, mm-hmm. This was during the time like um, Marty Rathburn, um, uh, what's his face. Um, basically, uh, there was a bunch of higher ups, yeah, that... leaving the church during this time period, and people coming becoming dissented and um, you know people speaking out against it. And so they did eventually have bigger fish to fry, for sure. Yeah. Probably for the first year. I remember I remember the day that I didn't get a single call from them. And it took about a year and a couple months. And, but before then, for a year, uh, at the most, I was receiving probably about over 100 calls a day. I was receiving uh, over 100 text messages a day. Uh, their big thing is they love to email. They love emailing. So I would receive 200 emails in a day. Um, That'd make a cool installation project, just printing them out and paper and wallpapering <laughs> part of the Guggenheim. <laughs> of course, that's where my mind is. It's because of, of my own personal background. <laughs> you could just call it persecution. Right, 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 or right. re-recruitment. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, geez, yeah, I mean, imagine, like, I know there's some people that complain about telemarketers, but that's just a whole different level. Whole different like, level. Um, why haven't you been uh, showing up to the org lately? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's... Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, by the way, after getting new phone numbers, um, getting new email addresses. Yeah. They definitely have their ways of, yeah. you know... So it's that out. So, so it's harder to hide from Scientology than it is to evade getting uh, collections on your uh, college loans. Um, <laughs> it is getting out of Scientology is on the level of trying to quit a gym. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. Completely 
and then having gone through that with someone, I think actually really, really helped. Yeah, it sounds like having that support. Yeah. Probably like saved both of you mentally. Absolutely. Had I been going it alone, it may have been a different story. Yeah. Um, and so for that, I'm, I'm extremely grateful to her. Um, I guess what I would say is if anyone is facing any sort of situation like that, your gut is right. Your 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 innards are correct, you know. And I and I, it took a lot for me to trust that because for me words are valuable, and so what I was being told wasn't matching up to what was reality. Yeah. And I I definitely want to communicate, you know, that feeling that you have about whatever it is. Well, let's say you're in a job you don't like. That feeling that is in your core, that is a correct feeling. Even if it, even if it's not necessarily something that is a logical thing, it is a correct feeling. Now that feeling can be interpreted by action that you decide, but again, that feeling is the correct feeling. Um, so, uh, so I got out, um, you know, been putting my life back together since. I'm just going to start anew. All right. And we're off. Yes, we are off. We, we're going to finish up this interview as we drive. As we drive on the road. Pedestrians beware. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Right. Uh, it's you, it's kind of like Cash Cab because you're kind of interviewing me and driving at the same time. It's, yeah. Or it's like, um, what is that, uh, the Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Comedians in Cars. Oh, yeah. Um, except, nah, we're not comedians. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and normally I do this drunk, so this is completely going against what I should be doing. <laughs> Drinks with God. This is the sober episode. I yeah, promise. I, <laughs> I'm uh, not driving drunk, Mom. <laughs> I believe you're going to take a right. So, uh, so to wrap up, um... So after I got out and went through this extremely harrowing experience, this uh, incredibly, uh, you know, life-altering experience, I uh, I started going to therapy well after the fact because I found myself still using Scientology in my daily life, and I wasn't sure if it was healthy or not. So... <clears throat> I would uh, yeah, so I started going to therapy to just kind of like reevaluate for myself um, what it, what I can use in a healthy way what is still keeping me tied to it so to speak so um, after after you know about a year and a half two years of, of going to therapy for that I really feel like now there are parts of that conditioning that I went through that I still do utilize because it's actually very useful and it's actually it, it enhances part of who I am and so that being said you know, part of what I would love to communicate is any experience you've been through good or bad um, has a has a part of it that you can use 
to enhance your life and enhance yourself. Um, but I think it, it just, it's all about health. If it is a healthy thing to do, um, then feel free to utilize it. Definitely. And if you're not sure, then ask someone, ask a professional. Uh, there's no shame in, in getting help. Uh, we did not, none of us came into this world without help. Um, so that, and, um, and to, to really, really be able to focus in on what your core feeling is about something is an extremely valuable tool, which I did not have in Scientology. In Scientology, I was given tons of tools, psychological, you know, manipulative tools to control my environment and the people around me, but I was not given any way to assess for myself the, my, what my truth was about any given situation. I was oftentimes told what my truth was. And, um, and that is one of the things I would, I would say is, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're feeling in your tummy, when you, when you get a certain sense that is really dig into that feeling and really try to expound upon that and base your actions off of that actions based in, you know, logic and, um, and thoughtfulness, but at the same time rooted in that core feeling. Don't let anyone tell you what that core feeling is, including me. Don't listen to me. I'm, I'm an idiot, you know, do your own thing. But, um, that is definitely what I would say that I learned, uh, out of this whole crazy experience. And, um, since obviously I'm not going to ask you, uh, how are some ways someone can get into Scientology and how can people find you? Cause those are the last two things that you're going to want <laughs> to have happen. Um, and, but, um, in terms of where your faith is now and where you are right now, um, like obviously you've been able to find yourself and find faith in yourself these days now that you've come out of all that and you're definitely building yourself back up as a person, but um, in terms of the spiritual, where do you, th- where would you find yourself today? Uh, great, great question. I, I am definitely still a spiritual person. Um, I don't think that side of myself will ever go away. Um, in fact, I'll go through a tragedy and people say, Oh, how can you still have faith in anything? And I say to them, how can you not? I, uh, and that's not to say I have plenty of atheist friends. I've, um, friends who aren't spiritual at all and I get it I really do I can intellectualize it and it, but it's just not it doesn't re- resonate with me um, so now I would consider myself more of an of, a, of an agnostic but instead of finding trying to find something that will complete me I am trying to I am on a journey and opening myself up to the endless possibilities that this life has to offer. Um, and whether that possibility is, oh, you know, uh, turns out that, um, that, uh, you know, Mormons are right. 
You know, like, oh, oh, wow, okay, well, yeah, who saw that coming? Uh, and that's that. And I and I'm not going to be, incre- I'm not. I try not to be incredulous against any certain idea, uh, but I try to be questioning to all ideas. Does that make sense? No, it does. It's um, you've come to the conclusion that you that you can complete you. Yeah. Um, but and now you're trying to just uh, actually apply it and find the depth of which that means and you're not and you don't want to rule anything else out um, while you do, while you do that exactly um, and I have learned a bunch of tools along the way for me to use um, and you know I think that is so valuable if you can find something I, I this sound sounds braggadocious but uh, I I like to try to find in any situation, something for my tool belt, and and I've been very lucky to have, to feel like I, I've done that. Like where I'll go through a hard time or a tragedy or a good time or a joy or a success, and I'll have I'll, I'll take a little bit of that, and I'll be able to have that on my tool belt. Um, for instance, uh, I've been you know trying to practice. Um, uh, gratitude, and that sounds like the most LA thing ever. But uh, I I read a study um, that uh, I'm gonna forget his name. Tim, I want to say Cook. Some uh, a neuroscientist did a study where they hooked people's brains, probably a few hundred people's brains, up and you can see certain areas of the brain light up, whether someone is anxious or scared or, um, you know, experiencing joys, etc., etc. And they found that, so you can be experiencing two uh, quite different emotions at the same time. That is a very real thing. You can experience fear um, and uh, you, you at the same time be experiencing hope or you know you can all you can be sad and angry literally at the same time um one of the emotions that doesn't allow room a lot of room for other emotions is gratitude um because gratitude as it turns out is an a an emotion it's a part it's some it's a state that you can be in it's not just something that you can intellectualize Gratitude, um, gratefulness is something that can inhabit you. And when it does, there isn't a lot of room to feel uh, fear, hate, anger, things like this. Um, And so when I am feeling one of these emotions or when I'm in a state of mind that isn't conducive to... um, being productive, uh, I will meditate on that word gratefulness or gratitude, and and I'll try to let that inhabit me, and and you know, uh, kind of push everything else to the side. Um, obviously, that probably won't work for everyone, and that's a very frou frou thing. That like, it, you know, it's very hippie, um, but I try to do it in a in a in a very modern, advanced way where I'm doing it because uh, the thing that I've realized is like almost my religion now is 
my productivity and, and what I can offer to the world, thank you, Spring Street, um, is, is all important to me. And so anything that would that assists in that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that is one tool that I have in my tool belt. And that just came from being open-minded and kind of agnostic in a sense. Um, and, and so, yeah, again, there's tools everywhere that are in everything. I've, I have tools from Buddhism, Scientology, Christianity, and, and I don't, you know, I try not to judge and say, oh, just because of where this tool came from, it's, it's invalidated. Well, great. I think that that's some fantastic words of wisdom and definitely hard one <laughs> to say the least but um uh again thank you so much for coming for coming on to the show today and uh oh it's been a truly uh, a pleasure and and like i told you i think maybe off mic um th- i i want my experience out there more than i want to be hidden and in fear um so if this relates to you or applies to you or if you've gotten something out of it, uh, please let uh, Milo know um, so that, you know, we can we can f- be more of a community and less of individual islands uh, and we can bridge experiences um, uh, to those islands. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you guys for listening to us today. And please, please continue to uh, reach out to us on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, please follow, continue to follow us on iTunes and on Podbean. Support us on Patreon. Please check out our Redbubble page where you can buy some fantastic t-shirts that say things like Ask Me About My Death Anxiety and Manic Pixie Dream Nilist. And uh, as always, stay weird out there. <laughs>